But it is my absolute pleasure to bring the word again this morning. And Louis just came up and said, obviously God's not finished with us yet. So um, maybe we call this part two from last week. Uh, But for those of you following along, we are in a series called Jesus is King. Um, And so this message is titled, It's in Storage. So if you're um, taking notes this morning, it is called, It's in Storage. And um, when I think about storage, in my house, there's not a lot. We've got a tiny house with not a lot of storage. But when I was growing up, in my bedroom, there was, um, it was this wild room, like it was huge, and it had um, an entry to an attic, attic in it. And so, um, but you, to get there, you had to like get up on the railing of the stairs and then put your hands up and pull yourself up to that and like climb up. And then you're in this like musty old attic, like, what is this? And for me, that was amazing. I loved it. I thought that was so awesome. And every now and then I would get up there and to get up there, it was pitch black. And then I had to put my hand around the laundry chute, the internal laundry chute and switch on the light. And then there were boxes everywhere. There was things like the Christmas tree, Christmas decorations, old linen, all of these um, wonderful things that we keep. But my favorite thing up there was our, it was my Nana's China. Um, When my Nana passed away, we were given all of the things that stay in the cabinet that you're not allowed to touch. And they're so precious that they're in the attic. Like, um, and I just, the only time I ever saw them as a kid was when I got curious enough to go up to the attic and open the box really quietly because I feel like if I got caught, Dad would be like, what are you doing in there? Anyway, you were very kind, Dad. Um, But... He was protective of this china and I would just sit there and I'd think, wow, look at this and it was cut beautifully and I'd look at it in the light and then I'd put it, wrap it back up, put it back in the boxes and that'd be it. Like I wouldn't see it for another year or so and that was awesome. And that is, um, we do that sometimes with things we find important but we're not really sure what to do with them. For those of us that have um, storage containers, um, don't we do this? Like, it's important. We can't throw it out, but we don't really use it. It just kind of goes in storage. And that is the point of this message this morning. It's in storage because we're looking at a story in uh, 2 Samuel 6 where we find something really, really important is in storage. Uh, And to set up the story just a little bit, for those of you that may not have um, any idea about the Old Testament, we have a story where there's a king. The king's name is David. Uh, You may know him from stories such as David and Goliath, um, David and the bear, David and the lion, um, all of these things. Um, So, But he has grown up, shepherd King David has grown up and he is now king. The old king's name was Saul and he has passed away. But a monumental thing has happened in chapter 5. We're picking up our story in chapter 6, but a monumental thing has happened in chapter 5, and it's the fact that Israel has captured Jerusalem. Uh, Now, this was a turning point in Israel's history because it it was a major fulfillment of a prophecy that the Lord had given that Israel would capture Jerusalem. And here they were at the start of a brand new era for the Israelites. 
And because of this, King David is establishing how he wants the kingdom to, to be run in Jerusalem. It's a new place, a new start of an era. It's King David, the one who has been prophesied to be on the throne. And he starts the rule and reign. And he says, I want to start by bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had been in obscurity for about 50 years. Uh, the last time we heard about the whereabouts was back in 1 Samuel 7. And at some point, it had been captured by the Philistines. Philistines were the enemy of the Israelites. Um, and it was under the reign of Saul that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. And so it hadn't really been a priority to bring it back. And um, it kind of was just left like no one really knew where it was because um because it was actually returned back to the Israelites because the Philistines everywhere the ark went there was plagues breaking out and all of their idols would bow down to it and they're like we don't want it too much hassle send it back so they sent it back somewhere and it's kind of no one really knew where it was it was a bit obscure for about 50 years but that was under the reign of Saul and now David is king So we pick up our story in 2 Samuel 6. It says this, David again brought together all of the young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balaam and in in Judah to bring up there from the ark of God, which is called the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and bought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Iho, sons of Abadahab, were guiding the cart with the ark of God on it, and Aho was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord, with cassonets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals, when they came to the thresh, threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the cart, beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How could the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obadiah the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, the ark had been in storage. They knew it was important, but they didn't really know what to do with it. Now, if you are asking the question... What is the Ark of the Covenant? Good question. Um, It was a wooden cart covered in gold, uh, wooden chest, sorry, covered in gold with two cherubim either side. So big angels, imagining two big golden angels either either side sat on top, whose wings were outstretched like this either side to create a symbolic throne for the Lord. It had been um, constructed under the direction of God in Exodus chapter 25, 35, and 37. And it served both as a practical and a symbolic purpose um, for both in rituals and miracles. Uh, In short, it was the physical representation of God's presence on earth. 
It was a physical representation of God's presence on earth. Uh, If we look back through the Bible, it was actually sent out before the children of Israel in the wilderness to find safety. It was sent before them to dry the sea when they were crossing the Jordan. It was the place where Yahweh would speak to Moses from. It was very, very important. Inside of it, um, scholars agree that uh, they believe that the law of the covenant was in it. They all agree that. Some debate that there was a jar of manna, maybe collected from when the Israelites got manna, and also um, Aaron's staff that flowered, and they believe that could have been in there too. Um, But for sure, it was God's presence on earth. And when we understand the great importance of this object, the question begs to be asked, how did something like that end up in storage? How did something like that, at what point did God's presence become unimportant? Chronicles 13.3 says this, Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So during the reign of Saul, they had no need to inquire of the presence of God. And the question that asks, how does that happen? How do you come to a place where you have no need to inquire of the presence of God? And the only answer is you have set up another God for yourself. In other words, at what point do the people of God have no use for God? At what point? Think about it in today's terms. Like, when, when do you find that you fail to inquire of God's presence? When is it that you're too busy to find time for his presence? Is it when you're working? Is it when you're building your social media following? Is it when you're being entertained? Is it when you're trying to find a spouse or you're focused on a dream that's not God's? When is it that we have no use for God's presence? It is when we set up idols for ourselves. And what is it that reigns in your life that stops you inquiring of the presence of God? Only you will know. Because if it rains long enough, there will come a day, just like my Nana's China, where the presence of God is just another thing in storage for you that you'll pull out at Christmas and go, oh, wow, thanks. But we see here David deciding that this attitude needs to change. This whole thing about God's presence being on the outskirts in obscurity, that needs to change from the very moment we get into Jerusalem. I'm changing it. And so we read this story and they are so excited to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Just try and picture it with me. 30,000 men dancing their way, singing their way. Some of these men would have been so young, they never would have even seen the Ark of the Covenant. This, they were on their way to see the covenant, the presence of God. For the very first time, they were going to see it with their own eyes. And then tragedy. Tragedy. I can um, only imagine chief, HR, angel in heaven going, that was a bit much. It's my problem now, great. Uh, It just seems unfair. It seems drastic of the Lord. And at face value, we can be forgiven for thinking, God, they were excited. They were were doing a good thing. They were worshipping and excited and full of zeal to bring back the presence of the city. 
to bring the presence to the city. And um, it's okay if we think, he just didn't need to die. That's so harsh. But zeal and enthusiasm without knowledge will lead to foolishness at best and idolatry at worst. Proverbs 19.2 says this, Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. And he who hurries his feet, acting impulsively and proceeding without caution or analysing the consequences, sins. They miss the mark. And the unclean thing in our lives must die when touched by the holiness of God. Meaning it is all well and good for us to have excitement and passion about God's presence. But unless we seek to know him, unless we seek to abide with him, we can even make an idol out of the feelings and experience we get in church without ever getting him. And David had excitement about the Lord, but he lacked the knowledge about how to carry the weight of his glory. There was a way in which the ark needed to be carried. There were stipulations about how the presence of God was to be handled. And yes, they had zeal. And yes, they were pumped. But Uzzah felt the wrath of God that day for his idolatry. How so? He had created a God in his mind that would never punish him for a reverence of his presence. He had created a God in his mind that he could treat as common, who was only ever called to be holy. Numbers 4.15 says, if you touch the ark, you will die. Zeal without knowledge will lead to foolishness, church. We must go beyond the passionate, we love Jesus, into I must know him. I must abide with him because our lack of knowledge will lead to foolishness in our speech and in our act. The ark was never meant to be carried on a cart. They were carrying it on a cart. Uh, The Lord had given very specific instructions in Numbers 7, 9 that the ark was to be transported only by being carried on the shoulders of the Levites. Those who, the Levites were those who had been set apart uh, for the Lord in worship. The ark, the holy presence, was never designed to be carried on a common cart pulled by farm, animal, farm animals. It was to be carried by worshippers. And his presence is still called to be carried by worshippers. His presence rests on the shoulders of worshippers. Worshippers come to give They come to give worship. They do not come as beggars. They come as givers of praise and worship. And from that place, the presence of the Lord is carried. Why do we start our services in worship? So we can carry the presence of the Lord. We're meant to enter into the presence of the Lord through thanksgiving. And how does Jesus teach us to approach our Lord? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come giving him worship. His presence is carried on the shoulders of worshippers. And so where on earth did they get this idea to put it on a cart? Oh, the presence of God will just put it on a cart. And they got it from their enemy, the Philistines. When the Philistines decided to return the ark of God, when they're like, this is too much for us, send it back. They just popped it on a cart and sent it back. And so Israel, watching their enemy for how to treat the presence of God, did the exact same thing. They looked to those who knew nothing of God for the way to handle the things of God. 
And we as Christians are never, ever meant to look to the world for wisdom on how to conduct our lives. It doesn't matter how countercultural, how out of fashion, how stupid it seems to the world. We are never, ever meant to look to the world for the wisdom on how to live our lives. But we look to the Lord. We look back to the Word. We go to His presence. We inquire of Him and He shows us how to carry His presence into a dark world. And so David went back to the city completely despondent, understandably, angry, humiliated, frustrated at what had happened. But praise the Lord, he didn't just go and sulk. He went and inquired of the word of God. And there he found the instructions of how the ark was meant to be carried. There he read the stipulations for how to handle the holy things. And three months later, David hears the report of the house of Obadiah that the ark is blessing everything. Where he remembers death, God is bringing blessing and he takes great encouragement from this. And he, he, he sets the time out now, gathers everyone again. He goes, no, I know last time was my bad, my bad. Let's go do it the way of the Lord. And Chronicles 15, 2 says, Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord to minister before him forever. And they went and brought the ark back. But this time, what was holy was treated as holy. This time, the presence that was meant to be carried on worshippers' shoulders was carried on worshippers' shoulders. And every single six steps, they stopped and praised the Lord. They took six steps and they praised the Lord. They were overcome with thankfulness for His presence. This church is extravagant worship. This is over-the-top, beautiful worship. This was the journey of the Ark of the Covenant marked by worship. And what was meant to be holy was never meant to be put in storage. What was meant to be in the centre should never have been on the outskirts. And my question to us today is what are we putting on the outskirts of our lives that is meant to be in the centre? I wonder what our lives would look like if we would set our hearts on the presence of God being the centre of our lives. Just imagine with me how your world would change. How would driving and traffic change? How would your interactions with the supermarket lady change? How would your house change? How would your relationship with your spouse change if your conversations invited the presence of the Lord to be right there? How would your prayers change? How would your relationships, your friendships, your management of finances, how would your life change if you invited the presence of the Lord to be at the centre? And we no longer treated what was holy as common, but we declared it holy and it is to not be on the outskirts, but it is to be carried by worship from the very centre of our lives. What we have been gifted with church is not common. It's available for everybody but it is not common. I mentioned it last week and I'll reiterate it again about a call to repentance. There is a move of God happening around the world right now 
where God is stirring up college campuses across the world. Where normal chapel services that should have just, just normal chapel services have been going for over 14 days because people don't want to leave his presence. It's happening right now. It's breaking out across the world where services like this come to a close, but everyone's like, I'm not moving. I want more of the Lord. I believe there is a call of repentance to the church for we, us treating what is holy as common. Us coming in and just treating it like a club, repenting of that and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for treating this like an activity or an option or something in storage to look at. I repent of that. I want to bring you right back to the center. And James 4, 8 to 10 says this, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil. And I, I think the loudest no we need to yell at is apathy. Just not caring if God is in our lives. No to the devil and make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin, which it only is other ways to live other than God's. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the game. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and the games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get on your knees before the master. It's the only way to get on your feet. His presence is carried on the shoulders of worshippers. And for those of you in here this morning who may not know it, in God's presence... There's hope for those who are out of hope. There is peace for those who are anxious. There is rest for those who are exhausted. There is joy for those who are stooped low. There is healing for those who are crippled. There is freedom for those who are bound and there is forgiveness for the sinner. It is free and available for every person. No one is excluded. It is the widest invitation but a narrow gate. The way you access through this is Jesus. That you believe he is who he says he is and he does what he says he does. Again, this next time like we did last week as I asked the band to come. We're going to set aside a few moments of worship. And my prayer again is that this place would become an altar of repentance. There is a sound coming from heaven that I cannot shake for repentance for the church. Across the nation, across the world, he is drawing on people's hearts to seek him. And one thing I just want to finish with is the words that David said when they first went to get the ark. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And so often we can look at ourselves and think, how could I get Jesus? How does the presence of God rest on me? How does he work through my life? How can the ark of the Lord come to me? The only answer is by the blood of Jesus. To plead the blood of Jesus from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. To fight for your salvation and work it out every single day. The ark of the Lord is wanting to come to you. The presence of the Lord is wanting to come and live with you. But it will rest on the shoulders of the worshippers who declare He is who He says He is. He does what He says He does. It's by the blood of Jesus. 
So if we can stand, church, this we have about 10 minutes until we're meant to close the service. We might go for 10 days, who knows? But I, I want, in this moment, I, my prayer would be that we would look inward and really ask the Lord, search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. If you need to come and get on your knees and repent, do that. If you need to throw your hands up and declare, I'm sorry, Lord, do that. If you need prayer, come for prayer. But we are going to turn this place into a place of worship that the presence of the Lord is welcome, He's wanted, and He's carried in the right manner of worship. For He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not common. He will come where He is wanted. He will come on the shoulders of those who worship. He's a holy God and He's worthy of all of our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.